There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And it's it's great to be back with you uh, with another amazing guest this week, uh, Clint Pulver. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, employee retention today, but I suspect maybe not as you've heard it before, because uh, Clint has got an incredible background and a fascinating story. Uh, and I'm very, very excited about the conversation today. I think it's going to be going to be amazing. Um, I'd like to um, thank my guest, uh, Michael Roderick, from last week, which was a, an amazing show, and also uh, Phil M. Jones, who um, came on the show several years ago now, and I think he's a, he's a friend, of, friend of Clint's, and uh, very, very kindly introduced us together. And um, Phil, I remember being um, blown away by uh, the number of people who listened to that show. Uh, it, was, uh, it was tremendous. So thank you so much, Phil, for the introduction. So let's just get on to talking with uh, my, my guest today rather than lots and lots of preamble because I, I think retaining great employees uh, if you work in in a, in a company in a business um, as a leader as a manager can be can be challenging and particularly today if you're maybe an older leader and manager and you want to engage and retain uh, young people and young talent because often they're they're quite transient now, my guest today, Clint Pulver, is a professional keynote speaker. He's an author. He's an incredible musician, a drummer. He's a pilot and a workforce expert. And he's known as a leading authority on employee retention. Now, Cl- Cliff, Clint, sorry, Cliff, Cliff, um, I'm uh, <laughs> um, Clint um, has transformed uh, corporations like um, Keller Williams, AT&T and Hewlett Packard. Um, he's created lasting royalty through his work and researches the undercover millennial, which we'll talk about because it's, it's a fascinating concept. Um, undercover Boss is one of my favorite TV shows, actually. I think it's probably a little little similarity to that one. And he's been featured by Business Q magazine as a top 40 under 40. As I say, he's a professional drummer. He appeared in a feature films um, and he's on American's Got Talent uh, he's in 2020, incredibly, he won an Emmy Award for his short film, Be a Mr. Jensen. Uh, that tells a, sh- a story um, of how a single moment in time uh, with a, a mentor uh, transformed his life and set him on a, the right kind of path. And it's interesting, isn't it, how the, the right mentor sometimes just comes along. We've just got to notice them. So let's talk about in- employee retention with Clint Pulver. Huge welcome to you, Clint. Hey, thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be on the show. That's okay. And I promise I will, uh, I will think of you as uh, Clint uh, <coughs> and not, not Cliff. <laughs> I think Clint, in, Clint, Clint um, Eastwood rather than um, Cliff Richard. There you go. Uh, there you go. Now you got it. Two <laughs> <laughs> of the characters. So, so, Clint, tell us, you live in Salt Lake City. I do. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about what life's like there, how it's been in lockdown and with your, your young family. It's uh, it's it's doing a lot better now. It's been a little bit crazy, but I just went to uh, an, an NBA Utah Jazz game 
this last week, and every seat in that 18,000-person uh, arena was filled. Really? Uh, it was unbelievable to see. So uh, here, at least in Utah, uh, we are making uh, steps, and I think the right direction, and it, it's, uh, it was so wonderful to see people together. Yes, everyone was masked up, but man, just to see people smiling and cheering and applauding and like, you know, as a musician, like I never thought we would ever see those days again where you'd have a mosh pit of people in a concert hall rocking out to, to uh, artists and musicians. And so that was a really fun and, and exciting thing. So we're slowly making, making headway and, and we're, we're coming back to what used to look like normal, which is yeah. nice. Yeah, it's um, been a strange time. Hasn't it? My, my, I support a football club called Leicester City and we won the, the FA Cup, which is the big British cup this year. First time in our history, I think we've uh, failed, dropped, failed in the final four times in the last 139 or so years and we couldn't go. Yeah. Uh, a few, few, few seats were available, but only very few, uh, which is just a, a real shame. So it must be good to get back in that environment. It is. It was so fulfilling. I mean, it was just, and I took a moment and I just looked around and to just see, you know, moms and dads and with their families and kids and smiling and just like, yes, we had a mask on, but there just was, I don't know, that moment where everyone was forgetting about life and we were just in that, that arena cheering for our team that we loved and the, the jazz are moving on and in the playoffs. So it's exciting. It was a, it was a very cool, uh, special moment that we just haven't had for a long time so and you, and you do lots of speaking with with huge huge audiences i mean uh and it's and it's quite sit, watching some of your amazing videos it's it's it uh it, a lot of a lot of entertainment a lot of theater within that um as well I, you must have missed that absolutely i miss i miss the, the 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 people i miss the gathering i miss uh i don't know i mean i'm an entertainer i i'm a i'm a speaker i'm a drummer i you know I wouldn't say I live for the stage, but I love it there. You know, that's where you can really, you know, tell a story and create moments. And I love that myself. I love to go watch and be a spectator and go to a good concert. And so, yeah, ballrooms are starting to fill up again and events are coming back and people are booking conferences. And I've got some big events in Texas and Florida and Kansas um, even stuff internationally is starting to to book up more and more. So slowly we're we're getting there, and where that's my livelihood and what I live and breathe and love to do, I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> tell us a bit about tell us about your life, your earlier life, and Mr. Jensen. Yeah. So as a kid growing up, I, I struggled. I was the kid that just I I had a hard time sitting still. I would, I, would, I would try to listen in school, and my right hand would start to tap, and then my left hand would tap, my, my legs would move. And obviously, if you're sitting around people and you're doing that, that gets annoying, right? If everyone's clicking a pen or they're tapping their foot, it's like, seriously, stop. And I subconsciously didn't even know that I was doing it half the time. I got nicknamed. All the other kids called me the twitcher. I got called the tapper. Even the teachers would look at me, and time and time again, young man, sit on your hands. Young man, stop, stop tapping. I told you to sit still. I need you to, to quit moving. Teacher sent me to the principal's office. He told me to sit on my hands. And it just, it just never worked. And it was, you know, whether you call it ADHD or this inability to, to focus, I just struggled until one day I had a teacher 
and his name was Mr. Jensen. And he looked at me as I was tapping in his class and he said, young man, I need to see you after class. We're going to have a conversation. And I'm thinking like, this is it. Like as a 10 year old kid, I'm getting kicked out of school. And all the other kids are like, oh, you don't want to stay after (laughs) class, right? Like Twitcher's going to die. Like this is it for me. And the bell rings, class dismissed, everybody leaves, and it's a completely empty room, minus Mr. Jensen and me. And he goes to the back of the room, and he pulls up a big chair and a little chair, and he says, sit down. And he looked at me, and the first thing that he said is, do you know why we're having a conversation right now? And I said, yeah. I said, it's because I tap. It's because I move. It's the only reason anybody talks to me. And he smiled and he said, you're kind of the kid that's on the list, young man. He said, you tap. You tap in my class, you tap in everybody else's class. I know you get teased, you get bullied, everybody nicknames you. I know the other teachers have had difficulties with you. He said, but I've sat back and I've watched. And he said, it's crazy. You'll take a pen and you'll start writing with your right hand and then you'll tap with your left hand. And then as you're working on the assignment you'll switch the pen and you'll start writing with your left hand and you'll tap with your right hand. He looked at me and he said, I, I think you're ambidextrous. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no, I'm Presbyterian. He said, no, <laughs> he's like, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. He said, he said, can you tap your head and rub your belly? And I gave it a go and I could do it. And he said, okay, now switch it. Can you rub your head and then tap your belly and back and forth without blinking an eye I just, I could do that. And he sat back in his chair, folded his arms, and he smiled and he said, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. (laughs) And some people hear that and they're like, what's the difference between those two things? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And that simple sentence, I... I'm somebody, Chris, I believe in the power of moments. I know to some it might seem, you know, trite or like a soft skill or something motivational, but I really do. I I think in our lives we remember moments. We don't remember days. We remember those unique experiences where we're at the right place at the right time with the right person where just something happened that honestly could, it transformed your life. And this was one of those moments for me because Mr. Jensen, at that, that time, he leans back in his desk And he opened up the top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks. My very first pair. And he put them in my hands and he said, listen, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just think these are going to help you. And I want you to promise me just one thing. Promise me you'll keep them in your hands as much as you can. And that was 23 years ago. And I can you know, sit here today on this show and tell everyone that's listening, honestly, 23 years ago to this exact day, I have tried my best to keep my promise to Mr. Jensen. And for 23 years, I've had the opportunity to tour and record all over the world as a professional drummer. But on America's Got Talent, I played drums with Carrie Underwood, Tim McGraw. I played drums with the Blue Man Group. I remember when I graduated high school, I had no clue what I was going to do with my life. So what do you do when you graduate and you have no idea? 
You go to university, right? You go to college. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, <laughs> I went to school and I graduated in 2012 with a bachelor's degree and zero school debt, zero. That was all, and that was all from music scholarships. And I coached the drumline for the NBA Jazz for seven years. I mean, I've just, I've had these amazing experiences and I don't say all those to go, oh wow, good for you, Clint, or oh, what a list of accolades, bravo. Like, that's not the reason. The reason I'm telling you that is because one person, one person who decided to create a moment and advocate for a young person, not just try to develop them. He was someone that flipped the script and he saw an opportunity, not a problem. And in doing so, changed my whole life mm. so 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 Clint I'm intrigued how you know how how you you had this, this great success as a professional drummer and how did that make you decide to combine that with with really a you know a business speaking and motivating and inspirational kind of career and helping companies around employee retention where did that where did that link between the two come from yeah, I, I never wanted to, like, growing up, I was like, ah, I, I want to be a speaker. Like, that was never the thing. I wanted to be a pilot. I went to flight school, uh, continued down that route. Then I had an eye disease that ended that whole job. I, I knew that professional drumming as a full-time career wouldn't be the most conducive for a family. And mm-hmm. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to, to you know, to, to be a good father and a good husband and being on the road all the time and as a touring musician just wasn't conducive to what I wanted at that time. And so I, I ended up going to college. I was a little bit miserable through that experience and got a job based off of the money and the benefits and found myself literally just existing every day, uh, just day in and day out doing the same thing. And I, 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 ha- I spoke in church when I was in high school. And there was a guy that owned a leadership consulting company that heard me speak. I'm just giving a talk in church. And he came up after and he said, I want you to come speak to a bunch of other leadership students, high school students. And I was still in high school at the time. And I was like, nah, I'm good. Like, (laughs) I have have no desire to go speak to high school kids. Trust me, I, I live with them. And he said, I'll pay you 500 bucks. And I was like, Okay, what day do you need me? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, sounds good. When, when, when are we doing this? And that was like, you know, 500 bucks is a big deal. And I, I went down, I did this little event. And I, I was a drummer, and I, I had no idea what to talk about. So I just I put this presentation together called To the Beat of the Drum. And I gave everybody drumsticks and buckets. And I just taught music principles and teamwork and listening skills and communication skills and things that I had just learned as a musician but they applied 100% to leadership. And I had so much fun, Chris. I mean, it lit my heart on fire. And I had kids come up and they're like, that changed my life. And I was like, what? Like, like we just played the drums and like you've had this moment that you're going to go live your life differently now? Like that had never happened to me before. And then I had four, four or five other schools that came up after and they said, we want you to come speak at our school. And I said, what do, what do you mean speak at your school? They're like, we pay speakers, people to come in and talk. <laughs> to, and I said, oh my gosh, like I am in and I can bring my drums. They're like, yes, we love your story. Bring your drums. And so I just started doing that again and again and again. And I, I started in the youth world 
speaking to kids all over the, all over the country, all over the world. And I just, I love that because kids are honest and they taught me how to speak well. Uh, because I call it the lion's cage. You surround yourself mm. with 3,000 high school students and they will tear you apart. So <laughs> anyways, I spent time there, but then all of a sudden the teachers started to hear the story and I started doing professional development conferences. And then, you know, some of the administrators had friends and family in business. And then they started to bring me into their corporations. But the corporate side of employee retention didn't really take off until I was in New York City and I was a part of a mastermind group. And we're sitting there and we're meeting with other CEOs and executives in the hustle and bustle of New York. And this one gentleman that we met with owned a large sporting good retail store on the East Coast. And, uh, you know, it's, it just goes all along the East Coast of the United States. And we're in his store in Manhattan. And I remember we were talking about business strategy. And he had this thick New York accent. And he said, in business, you got to adapt or you're going to die. If you don't adapt, you're going to die. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> it, was a very, uh, it was a very profound moment. And I agreed with him. And I said, okay, I get it. I, you do. You've got to adapt. Everything's changing in business. What we do today versus 20 years ago is night and day different. And, so, and then I asked, I said, so what about, I'm just curious, what about your management style? You know, like, what about people? And he fired back and said, nah, 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 nah. No need to change. No need to adapt. And I remember I just had this puzzled, confused look on my face. And I said, okay. He feels the need to change how he does business to meet the demands of a market that's changing. But when it comes to people, there's no need to adapt. Mm -hmm. I found that fascinating because I had spent so much time with kids. And, and the world that young people live in right now, I mean, it's just crazy and it's changing all the time. So why would that not affect the kids? And so I thanked the guy for his time. I had 35 minutes to kill until I needed to be to the next place. And I'm sitting there in the store and I look around and all of his employees, Chris, were my age or younger. So like millennials, Gen Z, high school, early college age students. And I just thought to myself, I said, hmm, I wonder if they would say the same thing. I wonder if they would have the same perspective. So I thanked the guy for his time. I had the time to kill. So I went up to one of his employees. And mind you, I look kind of like how I did today. I had a t-shirt on. I was wearing a backwards hat, just a, a regular customer in the store. And I walked up to this first employee and I said, hey, I'm just curious. Uh, what's it like to work here? And the employee got really quiet. Started to look around. I felt like we were doing an illegal drug exchange. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, I'm just curious. He goes, man, I can't stand it here. I cannot stand it here. He said, dude, we're all cogs in a wheel. Every one of us, man, we're all numbers. I don't even think my manager knows I'm here right now. And I said, well, then why are you still working here? And he said, oh, I've already applied to three other places. As soon as I get a job or, you know, somewhere else, I'm, I'm gone. And I, remember, I thought, okay, well, maybe he's having a bad day. So I went and asked another employee and another and another and another. And at the end of the conversations that I had in that 35 minutes, I interviewed six of his team members. And at the end of those six conversations, five out of the six of his employees said they would not be working for this guy and his store in less than three and a half months. That was, that was it, Chris. That was the moment where I just, the light bulb 
just blew up in my mind because I realized that the perception of leadership versus the reality of the employee experience is usually pretty skewed because leaders, you know, most of the time, unfortunately, they have no idea when they're doing poorly because there's no incentive for an employee to speak their truth, right? Like, I'm not going to go up to you and be like, you know, I, listen, I want you to know, John, you really micromanage the crap out of us. And you're, you're the guy that you always take the credit every time we win and every time we lose, you blame everybody else. I just want you to know that. I, I need you to be better. Like, no, no employee says that, right? Even on an employee survey, they, they kind of give the safe answer because they're always afraid what's on the other side of the survey. But I created something and I realized in that moment, every one of those employees gave me complete honesty because I wasn't a survey and I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a manager. I was just another millennial. Mm -hmm. And that was the day I started the undercover millennial program. And I have been doing that for the last four and a half years and undercover I have worked with 181 organizations and I have interviewed over 10,000 employees wow. undercover. Amazing. And it's kind of like undercover boss, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like that without the makeup. Yeah. And uh, I would go undercover as a millennial who was looking for a job. Yeah. So, so if how, you're, yeah, yeah good. You've done 10,000. So how, how many, how long do you think it'll take until you can't do it anymore? <laughs> you've got to a uh, team, of, team of other undercover millennials to do it for you. Yeah, and now what we're doing though, is we're really presenting and going and training on the research that we've done. You know, we, we found that there were common threads because that was the magic, Chris. That was the real significance of the research is when I would go in and say, what's it like to work here? The cool part wasn't when they were like, ah, I hate my job. I can't stand my manager. The cool part was when an employee said, I love it here. Yeah. I love my job. Yeah. And, and then I found out why. What were those leaders doing to create organizations that their people never wanted to leave? And so we took that all and we put it into a book. And the book just released two months ago and we titled it, I Love It Here, How Great Leaders Create Organizations Their People Never Want to Leave. Fantastic. It's a great story. I'm just thinking um, two or three weeks ago, I, I, I was working with, with a, uh, two business owners from a, a company and uh, I was asking we're talking about their kind of superpowers as leaders and, uh, and, and what they were particularly good at because we were working on their personal purpose and then their um, business values, purpose, mission, uh, et cetera. And, uh, and, and this particular chat was saying, oh, I just don't know, um, you know, what, what am I good at? And, uh, and, and his, young, his son, who was only about nine, um, suddenly appeared in the kitchen because, you know, Zoom's like that, isn't it? Uh, so... I said, well, what did your son think? So he said, why, why, didn't, you, why didn't you ask him? So uh, his son came on and I said, um, what, what do you really love about your dad? And he said, everything. And I thought, wow, yeah. that, that was just amazing. You know, ev everything. You know, and, and I, you know, thinking about your, um, your story there, you know, you could maybe... You know, most, most of us can learn a little bit from that father about, you know, to have a son actually say everything. Yeah, like there were, there really were people that said, I love everything about my job. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love, I love it here. And I love who I am while I'm here. I don't just love my job, 
but I thrive here. I don't just survive. And, and that was like, oh, when that would happen and trend in an organization from employee to employee to employee to employee. Well, why? What were those leaders doing to create that type of a response? And the, I did it undercover. You know, there was no incentive. There was no like opportunity for advancement. There was no fear of getting fired. Like they, they were just, I would go in undercover as a potential employee and they really gave me the honest truth. If it sucked, they told me it sucked. If, it, if they loved it, they told me they loved it. And why? And we were able to dive into that further. And that's what the book is about. You know, it's not another leadership book written by a you know, self-proclaimed leadership expert. That's not what the book is. This book is a book written by 10,000 employees who knew when their leaders were getting it right. Yeah. What does good leadership look and feel like to people? Not from the leader's perspective, but from the people's perspective. Mm. Yeah, it's getting getting real, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is getting real. It's getting to the truth. And you know, the reason I love Undercover Boss so much is that they discovered the truth, which might be very different to what they thought the reality was. Absolutely. And, and I think it's been valuable for, for the organizations that we've partnered with and we've linked up with that they've been willing and courageous enough to bring somebody in and to capture this because the revolving door of turnover in an organization costs a company thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, it depends on the size of the organization. It it just, you know, and, and, and the loss in morale, the loss in productivity, the difficulty of making it to recruit and to find people, to hire people, um, and I, I just, you know, we're coming into a, an interesting time right now into the world of, you know, we're, we're coming into quarter three and quarter four of 2021. And during 2020, retention rates were at an all-time high. Pandemic was across the whole world and everybody, if you had a job, you hunkered down and you held on to that job. But now that we're coming out of this uh, as, a, as, as a world, slowly but surely, two things have happened. And I've seen this in our research as we've gone in and we've done, you know, we've done the work during COVID. Number one, employees remember how they were treated. I saw some pretty horrific things that leaders did during the time of chaos to their people. But I also saw some beautiful things Mm. that leaders did as well. And your employees will remember how they were treated. The market has changed and people are realizing now, oh my gosh, I can live in New York City and, and work in England. I, I, can, I, could, I could move to Australia and work in California and make twice as much mm. and work whenever I want. And so it, the pandemic has given everybody time to think. And a lot of people's jobs today, they don't look the same as they did in 2019. Wages have changed. Flexibility has changed. Work from home, come into the office. Is it a hybrid model? Some people are taking on more because they furloughed half the team. And so now it's like, okay, you're doing twice as much work. You're taking on the load for everybody else. So it's just, we're in a time where there's going to be a massive disruption. There's going to be a, a, a job churn in this market. And employer, employers are feeling that. They're already seeing that. It's getting harder to hire people. And it's becoming harder to retain them. So now more than ever, we need, we need business owners. We need organizations to start figuring out how do we create a business and a culture where people say, I love it here. Excellent. Well, on that note, we're going to go to commercial break. 
And then after the commercial break, I want to hear more of the your thoughts about how do we do that? And Sounds great. The, the lessons when employees have said, this is an amazing place to work. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else versus those who've said, actually, I've got three CVs in the post and an interview next week. So we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, welcome back. And I'm here with uh, Clint Pulver, and we're talking about employee retention. And I've just, I've just been captivated by uh, Clint's uh, amazing stories about Mr. Jensen, um, about his, his uh, drumming experiences and, and how he became this undercover millennial, discovering all sorts about how people really felt about their organization. And uh, in fact, he's spoken to 10,000 people uh, in, what do you say, 158, 68 companies, something like that. Yeah, 181. 181 companies is is pretty amazing. So you've you've heard all sorts uh, during your your undercover adventures. I can imagine with all sorts of different types of types of people. And uh, what what do you think of the themes that have come out for you in uh, the patterns? Maybe maybe you know what are the what are the themes where you've found that people have been particularly disgruntled? And maybe we'll talk about you know when they're particularly happy. But what what about yeah. when they've been yeah, great question. So when an employee, when an employee hated their job, <clears throat> they talked about the manager. When an employee loved their job, they talked about a mentor. Mm. It, it was really interesting. So we talk a lot about leadership and leadership is a big reason for turnover. I would say it's probably the number one reason why people left their job. It was also the number one reason why people stayed at their job. Leadership. And, and not even specifically leadership. I think we usually talk leadership and management, right? There's those two compartments. And you want to be the leader, right? Because the manager's like the person that no one likes, and you're the one that's trying to just dictate and tell everybody what to do. But there's this middle, there's this middle category that I found in my research. And, and really, when an employee thrived at their job, nobody ever said, oh, I just love our leader. I, you know, they just... Their, their, their vision statement just inspires me and I stay here. And 
I love how they conduct our meetings. Like, nobody said that. Like, they didn't really talk about a leader. What they described was a mentor. Mentorship is really unique because mentorship is something that has to be earned. We give leadership titles out all day long. We give management, administration, director positions. We give people those all the time. But mentorship has to be earned. You cannot become a mentor until the mentee invites you into their heart. If you look at any great story, any great film, you know, you've got Star Wars. There's Luke Skywalker. And then he had Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Uh, Frodo, Lord of the Rings, had, had... had uh, Gandalf, uh, Aladdin, had the genie, Katniss Everdeen, she had Hamish, uh, Rocky, I love Rocky, Rocky had Mick, right? These, these legendary icons, these people that you could look at them and, you know, maybe they were the leaders, but ultimately they were mentors. And when I would walk into a workplace and I'd say, hey, what's it like to work here? Would you recommend it? And when an employee would say, yeah, I love it here. And I'd say, why? And they'd say, I I work here because of Susie. Yeah, hands down, Susie. Who's Susie? And then I'd go to the next employee who had been there for 11 years. Why why, why 11 years? And they'd say, oh, I I was with Susie at another tech firm, and she left and she came here, and I followed her over. Why? Why? Well, it was because Susie was a mentor. And we were able, when we found these great leaders that were creating organizations where people thrived— the mentor managers had five characteristics every time. And it's what allowed them to earn the right to be a mentor, to earn that calling in the eyes of their people, where people were, in, were with them and they said, you know, I like myself best because I'm with you. You're the Mr. Jensen, right? You're the advocate, not just the boss. And I call them the five C's of mentorship. So the first C is they're confident. Like Susie had a sense of confidence that she knew what she was doing. She knew that she could get people from point A to point B to point C. She was confident in her leadership. She believed in herself. Confidence exuded trust. The second C was credibility. Susie had a background in that industry. You know, for example, if you're selling cars, okay, you're the sales manager at the dealership. Have you ever sold a car before? Or are you just the guy that sits back in the office and negotiates price? Like, if I'm going to learn from you, I want to know that you're credible. I want to know that you've got a background and a history that qualifies you to be able to tell me what to do. The third component was competence. Now, competence is different than credibility. Competence was the ability to be a practitioner, not just a theorist. There's a lot of managers that can just, you know, they sit back in the office and they bark orders. Or they sit at the front and they say, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. I need you to do this. I need you to show up on time. And they just check off the list. But then there's the managers that they get in and they're in the trenches. They're completely competent and they understand the process because they've done it. They know it. They live it. They breathe it. And in doing so, they're able to mentor people better in those roles. The fourth C was candor. Great mentors had the ability to create relationships so strong that honesty could exist. Mm. They were people that give, they could give it to you straight. But they also realized that they had to make the, the deposits of trust, right? Those connections, like, I've got to get to the part about you. That is one thing, Chris, that I learned. Every employee is asking their employer, let me know when it gets to the part about me. 
And sometimes we hear that as employers and we think, well, those entitled little shining stars in my life, right? Like, oh, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And it's not so much about entitlement as it is about good business. It's about, it's about understanding that we've got to get to the part about them. We make that deposit of trust and then that allows us to make the withdrawals. I could see how, how managers would have tough conversations with people, but those people would come out of those conversations going, all right, I'll do better. Because they knew that that manager was a mentor, an advocate, someone who truly cared. They weren't just there to teach a lesson. They were there to grow a person. So they had this beautiful ability to have candid conversations to, to still keep the ship moving forward. It was fascinating to watch. And then the fifth C is caring. Great mentors just, they, I mean, I know it's not rocket science, but they just cared. They cared about the people. They understood that you're not just an employee. You're not a cog in the wheel. You're an individual to be loved. And you've got, you've got a life outside of work. And I understand that. They, they, they had standards and connection. Those are the two variables, Chris, that when an employee was satisfied or dissatisfied with their job, I could narrow it down to those two variables. And we actually outlined four different types of managers within those two variables. Mm. And how they worked within those determined a specific outcome. So, for example, the removed manager, they were low on standards, low on connection. So that created a disengaged workforce. The buddy manager was really high on connection, but low on standards. Yeah. So they really cared about people, but they had a hard time being candid. Uh, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I want to be liked more than, that, than I'm respected. What did this create in the workplace? Entitlement. This sense of where the employees almost ran the show more than the boss did. The third was the controlling manager. This was the manager that's high on, on standards, low on connection. Like that old command control model of do your job. I'm not here to be your friend. I show you that I love you because I give you a paycheck. Okay, don't, don't complain to me. Then this created rebellion. Constant pushback. These were the managers that were going toe to toe with every employee instead of shoulder to shoulder. But the fourth manager was that mentor manager. They were equally high on their standards, but they were also equally as high on their ability to connect. Mm. And what did this create? Respect. And they earned it through confidence, credibility, competence, candor, and their ability to care. Huge, huge, powerful lesson that I learned. Um, and it was the thing that employees talked about. It was the people they cherished and loved to work for the most. Mentorship versus management. Mm. I think that's beautifully beautifully articulated and, and very clear. And uh, having met, spent 30 years in, in businesses working with, working with people, uh, I really get that. I, you know, I really get the, you know, the two, the different components of that. Um, and, and I think you know, it, I do a lot of work around engagement. So it, it, it kind of links in very, very nicely. One of the things I sometimes think about with people when I, I ask the managers or leaders when they're, they're, they're talking to their employees and at the moment, particularly around the COVID when they're ringing them up, you know, what are you asking them about? Well, I'm asking them about, well, I'll ring them up and I'll ask about the results and about how, how um, you know, how, how the numbers are coming in. 
and it's but actually is that is that as important right now as finding out how they are mm-hmm. and i'll sometimes stick a little um sticky notepad on you know what what do you what do you think people have really written on their forehead uh, and i'll stick a little um, sticky notepad on and it says love me people yeah. want to feel loved don't they and i think that's what that's what you're saying there they want to feel loved and cared for and that's why the bit about them is important uh, too um the other thing that's coming up for me too is that um, the relationship with your boss, it's one of the most important relationships in your life, isn't it? Totally. And, and bosses just don't realize that. Yeah, they don't, I think they don't realize sometimes the influence they can have, like the legendary like, story they can, they, can, yeah. they can create. Not not so much in the story that they write, but in the stories they help others to create. Like the Mr. Jensen, for example, right? You know, and it's so funny because I think sometimes, you know, people are promoted into management positions because they were just good employees, right? And the company's like, well, we don't know what else to do with you, so we're just going to promote you and make you the manager. That doesn't mean that you're a good manager. And so many managers are put into management positions. They're given no training. They're given no, no development. And then they're expected to just thrive. And some people look at that as a power trip, and they, they use that control over people. Some people use it to, 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 to just, I don't know, I, I've, saw, I've seen so many interesting dynamics there. And when a manager, though, realized that, man, I can really make a difference, I can really be that lasting change, they become significant in the workplace, not just successful. And do you think, Clint, you, you shared that story about the, the New York um, retail owner, the store, store owner who you... Um, you sound a little bit like a, a character from The Godfather. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and isn't it true, isn't it so that the, you know, the most senior person in an organization um, sets the tone? Yeah, I think it, I think it starts there. I, I, I've seen, though, it has been interesting. Like, for example, I'd go work in a food and beverage chain, and I would go to one specific fast food restaurant, go in undercover, and the culture was just on fire. Like employees were engaged, happy, fulfilled, loving, treating customers great. They respected the boss. The manager was fantastic, had that mentorship role. Productivity was high. Sales were wonderful. And they had this logo, right? This the same logo, same, same company. And then I'd go six blocks down the way to the same logo, right? Same, 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 same restaurant chain. Night and day different experience. Mm. Employees dissatisfied, bad culture, poor customer service. So even though you know the executives, the higher level had this overarching vision, so much of it really stems from who those employees are interacting with on the day to day. Like who they're really, so I would say almost you as a mid-level manager, you have more sway over the power and the influence and the culture and the engagement of your company than even the president or CEO does. Yeah. Because they see and feel you when they look at this company, when they go to work for this company, for the most part, they're working for that, that manager, mm-hmm. not, not the C-level executive that they see once or twice a year at a, at a company meeting, you know? It, yeah. I think that's very so. I think I've been in roles myself where actually you almost, you protect and nurture the people under you from, from some influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
mm-hmm. know, may come from you know more 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 higher up in the organization um and i think you've you got a very good point there with with you know franchises with where there's various retail stores etc is that the the tone may be set you know at, at that level rather than at the the head office level and, and, and sometimes those cultures are very very different aren't they um I used to run work for various big food manufacturers and you would find in the different factories that, yes. uh, the, the, you know, the factory general manager kind of set the tone and the culture more so than the, than the head office really. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's hard. It's very hard. And I, I was very purposeful about this as well. When I was writing the book, it's very difficult to do a one size fits all approach when you're, when you're talking about leadership or culture in a business. Because one thing might work for some specific larger or even smaller business that wouldn't work for another. Mm. Uh, they have different ideals or they just don't have the right people in place to create that kind of culture that company X, Y, and Z has down the road. Um, so it was, very, uh, it was very hard. It was very... But there were, though, there were the things through the lens of the employees that it didn't matter if it was from a Fortune 500 company, you know... Uh, a bank, a tech firm, a construction company, something, something in, in the medical field. There were trends that when people were fulfilled, when they were thriving, we captured those. And it didn't matter what organization it was. And uh, those are the universal things that I did try to write about in the book that I feel like are reproducible for most organizations. Mm. So it sounds a bit like a, a must read, this I love it here. Um, I would like to think so. Yeah. Well, what I love about it, uh, which I think is is very important, actually, is, and it comes down to it comes down to those 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 five C's. I think you mentioned um, in that that the credibility and the fact that you have spoken to ten thousand people, and what you're doing is you're you've compiled the lessons and learnings and you've made sense of that and then you're sharing it back and that's what I love to hear is you know books that are really based on extensive research and and you've done it mate and uh, it sounds to me that you've uh, you've really hit on some of the key triggers thank you it's been one of the hardest things I've ever done I don't think I'll ever do it again <laughs> people are like you're gonna write a second book no I said the same yeah. thing <laughs> yeah I know and everyone's like yeah you say that but you will and I'm like I really don't think I will because it was, it was a lot of work. It's been four and a half years and the amount of research and the, just the effort of going into company after company after company after company and employee after employee after employee and then, then quantifying that, right? And bringing that into, and then putting that into book format and making sure that the read was engaging. And I wanted it to be simple, like, let's get right to the point. I, I wanted it to be prescriptive, not just some long, extensive read. Like I wanted your mid-level manager to be able to pick this book up and go, okay, there's something I can do tomorrow. And that is going to, that's going to make a massive difference, not just for me, but for my people. We just got, we just got a, I think a few minutes left till commercial break. And, uh, and I'm, what I'm seeing with you, I've watched a number of your videos, which some of them are just amazing by the way. Uh, And, you know, you've got to, you've got to check out some of Clint's, uh, videos on his website at clintpulver.com and I'm sure there's probably others on YouTube as well with him there playing drums in front of huge audiences and and engaging them um, but you've got a real talent around around this connection with people and I can see that I see that with the with the drumming etc have you got a you know maybe a tip to give a a leader about connection 
about how you do is it is it storytelling is it about energy um what is it that can you know make a difference you know what is your your secret ingredient when you're standing there in front of all those audiences and you're you know engaging them and getting rapturous applause and and smiles and tears and what is it yeah i think it's the, i think it's a combination of many things i think it's the the things that happen before i ever get on stage right i think it's something you would relate to chris and how you run a great show right it's the homework that you do it's the things you do off air that allow it when you're on air to 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 really create something meaningful to do something that's purposeful uh so there's a lot of research and work that goes into every client that i'm speaking for and that i'm working with i also the number one the number one thing i remember and it's the same thing i learned from my research that when i'm up on that stage and i'm speaking to an organization a company a uh, a uh, a uh, uh, charity event it doesn't matter i have to ask myself the question why should they care when am i going to get to the part about them when does my story matter to them when does my research help their pnl statement when does my research help them stop turnover in their company when does my story help them thrive uh that's really <clears throat> my job as a speaker i mean speakers can be expensive but my job is to be reassuringly as expensive that when i'm up there i'm doing my job i'm getting to the part about you and uh yeah it's not about me it's about them and making sure that they walk away going yep that was that was for me mm. and that's when i know i've i've done my job Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And and uh and your preparation, I mentioned you need you create quite a show, don't you? Quite a quite a spectacle for people. It is. Yeah, I've definitely tried to create an experience on stage. I don't want to be the guy that's just up there clicking through PowerPoint slides. Like we have created a moment. Like I tell the Mr. Jensen story, third person, and then we reveal the drums and they have no idea that I'm the kid and then they connect it and then I sit down and we rock the house and create this rock concert and they get to see what influence looks like. And then we we bring in buckets and drumsticks and we create a drum line. live and i teach these principles of engagement and connection and retention and they get to see firsthand how it works as an audience and i mean and it's funny and it's it's meaningful but it's also content filled and uh again they walk away saying that was unique that was different that was fun but i also learned something that's going to benefit me and my people wow amazing amazing and what you've got the book coming out i love it here and uh i've got so just 2 minutes um do you have a final message that you'd like to leave us with today yeah i i think uh you know as i look at the, the book in my life and we look at business um we look at you know what we're doing and in the lives of other people to create a culture is very difficult a good culture it takes time but once you've achieved it it also i believe is difficult to destroy it. You know, it, it it you work hard to create a good environment with good people that are productive and empowered and thriving. And the great companies that have that, it's 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 not easy to just end that overnight. And I think the coolest part about leadership is that it matters. The hardest part about leadership is that it matters every day. Mm. Consistency is is key 
And my mom growing up, she always said, little by little makes a little a lot. And I will echo what we, we talked about. A good friend of mine, uh, shout out to James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. Uh, he did 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states. He's doing the Conquer 100 right now. He's doing 100 Ironmans in 100 states. Literally the most impossible physical feat that anybody on the planet has ever done. And I've spoken with James many times. He's a dear friend. And everybody on stage, they always ask him the question, how did you do it? How did you do something that was literally impossible? And he gives the same answer, and it will be my final thought uh, today. He says, I do small things consistently over a long period of time. Mm. That is how I make the impossible possible. And it's the same way we do that with our business, our culture, our families, and our lives. Get really good at doing the small things consistently over a long period of time. And over time, little by little, we make a little a lot. Wow. Excellent. Well, you made it, you made a, I think you've made a, a lot, a lot today, actually. Yeah. <laughs> All those little, little, um, little steps that you've taken in your journey and in your life and the way you're showing up day in, day out. And, you know, that, as you say, that all that little now means that when you actually come forward, you can, you can share a lot with a lot of credibility. So it's been a wonderful pleasure talking with you today. I've really, really have enjoyed the conversation and thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. It's an honor. And um, if you want to find more out about clintpulver.com, do uh, do watch his incredibly engaging videos. Do find out about him. Um, he, he seems uh, an incredible guy to, to have the opportunity to work with and spend time with. So um, yeah, have a look at what's, what's available uh, right now. And I'm sure he's available to, to talk with you or his team if, uh, if he can help you liven up your events or, or really get to the bottom of understanding how people feel about you if you're brave enough uh, to have um, an, an undercover uh, millennial in your business, um, finding that out and discovering it for you. So once again, um, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, his book, I Love, to, I Love It Here, uh, is available. So I would check that out. And if you've got any questions or comments on the show, um, you know, you can um, contact, I'm sure, and Clint Paul through his site or do get in touch with me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. I'd love to hear what you have to say, how you feel. Uh, and I'd love to hear ideas and thoughts um, for uh, future guests, future shows. Um, but, but I'd like to hear what's going on for you. So feel free to, to keep in touch. And uh, once again, Clint Pulver, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 